اعوذ باللہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم لیسن نمبر فورٹی سورہ آل عمران آیا ون ٹو تھرٹین آل عمران لٹرلی مینس فیملی آف عمران آل میننگ فیملی اینڈ عمران واز دا مٹرنل گرینڈ فادر آف عیسیٰ علیہ السلام اینڈ دا سورہ از نیم سورہ آل عمران بیکاز دا ورسز تھرٹی تھری آن ورڈز آف دس سورہ mention the story of the birth of Maryam alayhi salam and then Isa alayhi salam, the family of Imran. Surah Ali Imran is the third surah of the Quran. The first being Surah Al-Fatiha, the second being Al-Baqarah and third being Ali Imran. And remember that it is not Al-Imran, it's Al. And there are 200 verses, 3,542 words and about 15,000 letters in this surah some have said that 15,336 in particular surah al-baqarah has 286 verses surah al-imran has 200 so al-baqarah has 286 86 more and in surah al-baqarah there are 6,031 words so so far you have read how many words 6,031 and I'd like you to multiply that by seven times. Why? Because you did the word to word seven times. And multiply that by ten times. Because every word, every letter in fact, that a person reads, how much reward does he get? Ten times. And in Surah Al-Baqarah, there are 20,000 letters. And Surah Al-Irman has about 15,000. Surah Al-Imran is a Madani Surah. What does it mean by that? That it was revealed after the Hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ. And the first 83 ayat of this Surah were revealed when a delegation from Najran arrived in Medina. This delegation, this group of people who came from Najran, they were Christians. And they came to Medina in the year 632. And basically, They came to ask the Prophet ﷺ about Islam and the Prophet ﷺ invited them to accept Islam as well. In terms of revelation, this surah, Surah Al-Imran, was revealed after Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Imran and Surah Al-Baqarah, they are known as twin sisters, twins of each other. Why? Because both are very similar to each other. There are many similarities between these two surahs. And also if you think of it, the ahadith that mention about the reward, the benefit of reciting Surah Al-Baqarah, many times Surah Al-Imran is mentioned as well. For example, the hadith that I mentioned to you that learned Surah Al-Baqarah and Al-Imran, why? Because there are two lights and they shade their people on the day of resurrection just as two clouds, two spaces of shade or two lines of flying birds. So Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Al-Imran are very similar to each other and many times they are mentioned together. What are some similarities between the two surahs? First of all, they are both very long. In their length, they are similar. They are over a juz. Also, if you look at it, both the surahs, they begin with alif, lam, meem. Surah Al-Baqarah begins with alif, lam, meem and Surah Ali Imran also begins with alif, lam, meem. The same huruf muqatta'at are mentioned at the beginning of both the surahs. 
Similarly, both the surahs begin with the mention of Al-Kitab, of the revelation of the book. In Surah Al-Baqarah we learned, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا غَيْبَ فِيهِ In Surah Ali Imran we read, what does the Qur'an say? نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ So both the surahs begin with Alif Lam Mim and both of them also begin with the mention of the book. We learn that in Surah Al-Baqarah at the beginning three groups of people are mentioned. Who are they? The Muttaqeen, the Kafirin, and the Munafiqeen. And at the beginning of Surah Ali Imran, two groups of people are mentioned. Who are they? Those who are Rasikhuna fil ilm, those who are firmly grounded in knowledge, and those who deviate. So two groups of people, two categories of people are also mentioned at the beginning of Surah Ali Imran. The believers are mentioned and the disbelievers are mentioned. Another similarity that at the beginning of Surah Al-Baqarah the story of the creation of Adam was mentioned. Isn't it so? And in Surah Ali Imran at the beginning the story of the creation of Isa is mentioned. The birth of Isa is mentioned. Also if you look at it Surah Al-Baqarah almost an entire juz is devoted to addressing who? The first juz. Most of it addresses the Bani Israel. And who are they? Ahlul Kitab, people of the book. So one group of the Ahlul Kitab, the Bani Israel, they were addressed in Surah Al-Baqarah. And the other group, the Christians, they are mentioned where? They are addressed in Surah Al-Imran. And another similarity is that both of these surahs conclude with a dua, with a supplication. At the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, a dua is mentioned. And at the end of Surah Ali Imran also, dua is mentioned. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alif, Lam, Meem. These are huruf muqatta'at. They are the disjointed letters. And primarily, these letters are huruful hijaa, meaning they're of the Arabic alphabet. Alif, Lam, Mim, just as you have Alif, Ba, Ta, Tha. Similarly, Alif, Lam, Mim are of the Huruf, Hija. They are always written together, as you can see. However, they are read separately. You don't read these letters with any harakat. You don't read them as Alam or Alim, Alima. No, you don't put any harakat on them to join the letters, but rather you read each of the letters separately. Alif, Lam, Mim. So, they are not read according to the way that they are written, but they are read according to the name of the particular letter. And this is the reason why they are known as Huruf Muqatta'at. Because Muqatta'at is from Qatr, which means to cut. So, although they are written together, but they are recited separately. Alif, as the name of the letter. You don't say A. You don't say L. You don't say M. How do you say it? Alif, Lam, Mim, with the name of the letter. And these letters, the Huruf Muqatta'at, 14 of the Arabic alphabet appear in this way at the beginning of 29 surahs of the Quran. As for their meaning, as for their purpose, there are many opinions amongst the scholars as to what they mean, as to what their purpose is, why they are mentioned in the Quran. However, all of these opinions can be summarized in four points. That first of all, because if you open any book on Ulum al-Qur'an, if you open a book on Tafsir, 
you will find many opinions. All of these can be summarized into four points. And what are they? That some have said that these huruf muqattaat have a meaning. They actually mean something. And scholars have differed concerning their exact meaning. Some have said that these huruf muqattaat are abbreviations for the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They say that these letters, what are they? Abbreviations for some of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Alif is for Allah. And others have said that no, they're not abbreviations for the name of Allah, but rather they're abbreviations for the name of the surah. They are abbreviations for the name of the surah at the beginning of which they appear. And others have given some other meanings. That for example, a particular huruf muqatta'at, for example, Taha or Yasin, it's of the names of the Prophet ﷺ. However, there is no solid evidence behind these meanings. Because to give a particular meaning, you have to have some text of the Qur'an or of the Sunnah supporting that meaning. But you don't find anything like that in the Qur'an and Sunnah that clearly tells us that this is what these letters mean. So this is one opinion. Another opinion is that these huruf, they are huruf hija'iyah, they are of the Arabic alphabet, and the Arabic alphabet do not have a meaning. Isn't it so? Alif, what does it mean? Ba, on its own, what does it mean? It doesn't have any meaning. When it's put in a particular context, like for example the letter ba, when it's put in a particular context, when it's a particular type of harf, then it has a meaning. But on its own, ba, alif, does not have a meaning. So scholars have said that these are huruf hija'iyah and they do not have a meaning, any particular meaning. Thirdly, it has been said that these huruf hija'iyah, they have a meaning. And why? Because nothing meaningless can be in the Qur'an. It's not possible that there is something in the Qur'an that does not carry a meaning. We know that every za'id letter, every extra letter is there for a reason, is there for a purpose. And what is that? To add emphasis. So similarly, how is it possible that there will be letters at the beginning of so many surahs, 29 surahs, but they don't mean anything? So some scholars have said that they have a meaning because there can be nothing meaningless in the Qur'an. And because we have not been informed of the meaning, it would be incorrect to speculate. It would be incorrect to guess. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone is the one who knows about the meaning. So we should not guess that this is what it means or this is what it doesn't mean. No. They have a meaning. That's all we know. What is the exact meaning? We should not guess. Fourthly, it has been said that we must take these letters as they are. And we should not go beyond reciting them. In the sense that the only thing that we should do with these letters is we should only recite them. And then we should say Allahu A'lam with regards to the meaning of these letters and the purpose of these letters. We should not say that these letters have a meaning or these letters don't have a meaning. Or they have a purpose or they don't have a purpose. We should not say anything. We should just remain quiet. Why? Because if there is a meaning, we don't know of it. If there is a meaning, we don't know of it. So therefore, we must not go beyond only reciting these letters. We should not go into what they mean, what they don't mean. Just recite them and that's it. So these are four opinions with regards to the huruf muqattaat. Now which one is it that scholars have preferred most? 
It's the second opinion. And what is it? That these letters are of the huruf hijaiya. Why? Because they are read in that way. They are of the Arabic alphabet. Why? Because you read them in that way. You say alif, lam, mim. You say kaf, ha, ya, ayn, sad. You actually take the name of the letter. So that is the evidence that these letters are of the huruf hijaiya. And we also learn from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ that reading these letters is a means of reward. The Prophet ﷺ said that وَلَا أَقُولُ أَلِفْ لَامِيمْ حَرْفٌ I don't say that Alif لَامِيمْ is a harf, بَلْ أَلِفٌ حَرْفٌ وَلَامٌ حَرْفٌ وَمِيمٌ حَرْفٌ So we see that these huruf, they are of the huruf hijaiya. Now what do they mean? Obviously, we don't know the meaning. And because they are huruf hijaiya, they don't have a translation. Because they're of the huruf hijaiya, they're of the Arabic alphabet, they don't have a translation. You don't translate them. In certain places where you see the letter ba or you see the letter lam, you translate it. Why? Because it's a particular type of harf. Over here, alif lami, this is huruf hijaiya. So therefore, they don't have a translation. And as for the reason as to why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose these letters in particular, why is it alif, lam, meem, and not ba, tha, qaf? Why? We don't know about that. And why did he put these letters in this order? Also, we don't know the wisdom behind that. We don't know the reason behind that. However, we must understand that these are the huruf hijaiyah. Yes, they don't have a meaning, but it's not possible that Allah would put something in His book that is completely meaningless, that is purposeless. So yes, we say that these letters don't have a meaning, but they have a purpose. There is a reason as to why these huruf are mentioned in the Qur'an in this way. And what is that reason? What is that hikmah? What is that wisdom? Many scholars have presented their opinions. For example, it has been said that these letters are there. Why? To draw the listener's attention. When alif, lam, meem, when it's read with a mud, what happens? If somebody's talking, if somebody's busy doing something else, immediately what happens? You're drawn. Okay, what's going on? What was that? However, other scholars have disagreed with this opinion. Why? Because if you think of it, the Muslims, when the Qur'an was recited, they were already paying attention. And if it was necessary to mention the huruf muqatta'at at the beginning to draw the attention of the listener, then the huruf muqatta'at should have been mentioned at the beginning of every surah. But they're not mentioned at the beginning of every surah. And it would be necessary to repeat these huruf muqatta'at every now and then. If you look at Surah Al-Baqarah, it's over three juz. So anybody, if they listen to the entire surah at once, they would lose their concentration halfway through, or especially if they don't believe in it, especially if they're not interested in it, especially if they're making noise when the Qur'an is being recited. So this is the reason why the scholars have disagreed with this opinion, that they're not just for the sake of drawing the attention of the listener. Other scholars have said, that the reason, the wisdom behind mentioning these letters is that the Arabs, they are being reminded that this Qur'an that you're listening to, it is composed of which letters? 
of the letters that you are very familiar with. The letters that human beings utter, that human beings speak. You use the same letters to make up words, to make sentences. It's your own language, it's your own huruf. But can you produce something like the Qur'an? Can you imitate the style of the Qur'an, the content of the Qur'an with the same huruf? You cannot. Alif, Lam, Meem, same huruf. Can you bring something like it? Can you produce something like it? No, you cannot. So basically, the purpose is to display the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. Because if the Qur'an was composed of letters other than which the human being spoke, if it was some other letters that the human beings did not speak or which were not in the Arabic language, then there wouldn't be anything miraculous in that. It's the same letters, same words. And if you say that a man amongst you is able to produce a Qur'an that cannot be imitated in style and content, if he can do it, then you should be able to do so as well. But you cannot. Therefore you should realize that this Qur'an is not the kalam, it's not the speech of a human being, rather it is the speech of your Creator, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the purpose of these letters is to remind us that these letters you speak, you hear them, you say them all the time. Can you speak something like the Qur'an? Something that is similar to the Qur'an in style and in content? No, you cannot. Which is why we see that these huruf muqatta'at are always followed by a verse that either exalts the status of the Qur'an. Like for example, we learned in Surah Al-Baqarah, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Exalts the status of the Qur'an. Over here, what do we read? نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ a verse that exalts the status of the Qur'an. And in some surahs, we see that these huruf muqatta'at, they are mentioned by verses that feature a miraculous aspect of the Qur'an. What do they do? What do they explain? What do they refer to? Some miraculous aspect of the Qur'an. For example, Surah Al-Rum, it begins with Alif, Lam, Mim, Ghulibat Al-Rum. Alif, Lam, Mim, the Romans have been conquered. They have been defeated. So, the Qur'an is telling the people about future. And that prediction actually came true. It happened. It was fulfilled. Romans were eventually conquered after some time. So, it is always some verse that either exalts the status of the Qur'an or it features a miraculous aspect of the Qur'an. That Qur'an is telling you about the future. And what the Qur'an is telling you it will happen. And the people saw it. It actually happened. Similarly, Surah Maryam. It begins with, Kaf ha ya ayn sad, dhikru rahmati rabbika abdahu zakariya. Mention of the mercy of your Lord on his slave, with slave Zakariya. So the Quran is telling you about what happened in the past. The Prophet ﷺ was not there. He never saw it. This happened hundreds of years ago. So, these verses... These huruf muqatta'at, what do they do? They display the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. That these letters, you speak them, you hear them all the time, but you cannot produce anything like the Qur'an. And the verse that follows these huruf, it mentions the exalted status of the Qur'an or a miraculous aspect of the Qur'an. Alif Lam Meem Allahu la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum Allah 
There is no God except Him. La ilaha illahu. There is no God except Him. Who is He? He is Al-Hay, He is the Ever-Living, and He is Al-Qayyum, the Sustainer of all existence. Allahu. He is Allah. And Allah is the personal and grand name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one else has this name. Who is He? La ilaha illahu. There is no God except Him. Why? Because He is Al-Hay, and He is also Al-Qayyum. Now we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one and true God. Ibn Abbas said that Ilah is the one whom everything turns to and everyone worships. Who is Ilah? Whom everything turns to and everything, everyone worships. Therefore, nobody else deserves this description, deserves this title of Ilah except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if there are others who are claimed as gods, who are claimed as Ilah, people worship them, people do sajda to them, people pray to them, they are not actually Ilah. They are not actually God. They don't actually deserve worship because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one who deserves worship. There may be many beings in the sky, on the earth, rocks, people, animals that are worshipped besides Allah, but they are not actually ilah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Al-Najm, Ayah 23, These gods whom you worship, they're only names. There is no reality to them. You've only given them names. Who has given them names? You and your forefathers. They're not actually gods at all. So we see that everything else that is worshipped besides Allah, it is not a god. It is batil. It is false. Because Allah alone is the one who deserves worship. Why? Because He is Al-Hay and He is Al-Qayyum. What did we learn in Surah Al-Baqarah? That, Ya ayyuhan nas, u'budu rabbakum. Worship who? Just anyone? No. Worship who? Rabbakum. Your Lord. Who is your Lord? Alladhi khalaqakum. The one who created you. So the one who created you is the one who deserves your worship. Not someone whom you've made yourself. La ilaha illahu. There is no God except Him. He is Al-Hay and He is also Al-Qayyum. The names of Allah, Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. Al-Hay is from Ha-Ya-Ya, from the word Hayat. And what does Hayat mean? Life. And Al-Hay means the one who has Hayat, the one who is living, but for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, al-hay means the ever-living. Meaning the one who always was, he is, and he will always be. He has kamil hayat. And also, al-hay, when understood for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it also means one who gives life. Now, al-qayyum, al-qayyum is from the root letters, qaf, waw, meem. From the word qama. What does qama mean? To stand. Qiyam, to stand. So qiyam literally means to stand and from that you get the word qa'im. Who is qa'im? One who stands. When you show the excessiveness of the one who is standing or the one who is maintaining something, you say not qa'im but you say qawwam. So one is qa'im, more than that is 
Qawwam Who is Qawwam? One who is standing continuously One who is maintaining constantly Which is why men are the Qawwam over women Why? Because they don't just provide for their wives once or twice in their lives But they are constantly supposed to look after their families Constantly It's a full time job Not just the morning but the whole day Not just in the summer but the whole year Not just when they're young but their whole lives So qa'im is just one who stands Qawwam One who is standing a lot One who is maintaining and looking after excessively And more than qawwam is qayyum Who is qayyum? Qayyum gives us two meanings That first of all One who is fully and eternally established Himself From qa'im One who is established Himself, how? Fully and eternally, without any support. So one who is self-subsisting, one who is ever established, completely independent, does not need others. And secondly, Qayyum also means one who establishes others. And therefore, everyone and everything depends on him. So these were the linguistic meanings of the names of Allah, Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. These two names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they include in them the most perfect attributes of Allah and the most perfect actions of Allah. Al-Hay explains to us about the most perfect attributes of Allah and Al-Qayyum tells us about the most perfect actions of Allah. How? If you look at the name Al-Hay, who is Al-Hay? The ever-living. What does it mean by that? The one who has Hayat, that is Kamila. The one who has perfect life. And Al-Hay, Al over here gives meaning of entirety. All. So Al-Hay, meaning the one who has perfect, complete, absolute, most perfect, Kamila Hayat. So we see that the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's hayat is in two ways. How? First of all, in wujud. What does it mean by that? What does wujud mean? Existence. And secondly, in zaman. What does zaman mean? Time. So, what does it mean by this? That in existence he has kamil hayat. In time he has kamil hayat. What does it mean by that? When it comes to Perfection in his life with regards to time, what does it mean? That he always was, is, and will be. That he has always had life. His life was not preceded by non-existence. It will not result in non-existence. And while he is alive, his hayat is, his wujud, his existence is perfect. What does it mean by that? That it is not afflicted with any deficiencies. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? In Surah Al-Hadid, Ayah 3, Allah says, awwalu, He is the first. Wal-akhiru, and the last. Wal-zahiru, wal-batinu. The apparent and the intimate. Wahuwa bikulli shay'in alim. And He is knowing of every single thing. If you look at human beings, their life was preceded by non-existence. Kuntum amwata. And everything other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, every single being other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, 
their existence was preceded by non-existence. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He always was. Awwal. He was not preceded by non-existence. So His hayat, His existence is perfect. There is perfection in His existence. And while He is alive, if you look at any creation, anyone other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, human beings suffer from illness. They suffer from ignorance. Eventually they suffer from death. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His life is perfect. It is not afflicted by any deficiency. He is ever living. And because He always existed, and He has eternity, therefore His ilm is perfect. His knowledge is perfect. Remember I told you at the beginning that Al-Hay indicates to us the perfection of His attributes. How? He always was, is and will be. Therefore His knowledge, His knowledge is complete and perfect. You only know about what you've seen, what you've heard. What about what happened a thousand years ago? Do you have any idea about that? No. If you try to find out, you cannot know. And even right now, you only know what? You only know what? What's in front of you? In this room? Do you know about what's going on beyond the wall? You don't. Our ilm is limited. The ilm of the people of the creation is limited. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because He has perfect existence, He has complete knowledge. Because He has perfect existence, because He has perfect life, therefore all of His sifat, all of His attributes are perfect as well. So His ilm is perfect. Similarly, His qudra, His ability, His power is perfect. He always was, is and will be. There is nothing, nothing that can harm Him. لا تأخذه ولا نوم. Even He does not get tired or sleepy. So His qudra is perfect. Why? Because He is Al-Hay. Similarly, His summer, His hearing, His basar, all of His attributes, all of His abilities, what are they? Perfect. Why? Because he is Al-Hay. The passage of time does not affect him. He does not get tired. Therefore, he is the only one who deserves worship. There is none who is like him, even in Hayat. And because of this reason, he deserves worship. And if you look at the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Qayyum, what were the two meanings of Al-Qayyum that I told you? First of all, the one who is self-subsisting. He is independent. He does not depend on anyone. So he is qa'im ala nafsihi. He is qa'im ala nafsihi. Meaning he is fully and eternally established without any support. He does not need to eat. He does not need to drink. But on the other hand, he is, what's the second meaning of qayyum? The one who establishes others. Qa'im ala ghayrihi. The one who establishes others. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is he? He doesn't need anyone. And we all need him. He doesn't need anyone's support. And everyone needs his support. Everyone needs his support. And I told you at the beginning that Qayyum indicates to us the perfection of the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because he is independent. And everything else is dependent upon Him. So He is the one who feeds everyone. He is the one who has created everything for us. 
Imagine if we had to look after all of the affairs. We had to manage the air supply. We had to manage the water supply. We had to manage every single thing. We had to manage the pumping of our hearts, the flowing of our blood in our bodies. Imagine. Imagine if we had to look after every single thing. We could not do so. It is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is Qayyum, who is maintaining not just me, not just one aspect of me, but completely and fully. If it was not His support, we would not be alive. I would not be alive. So what does this show? The perfection of the actions of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look how amazing His actions are. That at the same time, He is providing for, He is looking after every single creation. Al-Qayyum. And because He is Al-Hay, because He is Al-Qayyum, La ilaha illahu. There is no God except Him. This is why He is the only one who deserves worship. What does Allah say in the Quran? Surah Fatir, Ayah 15. Ya ayyuhan nas, antumul fuqara'u ilallah. Wallahu huwal ghaniyul hamid. O mankind, you are those in need of Allah. While Allah is the one who is free of need, the praiseworthy. We all need Him. And He does not need us. The names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum, both of them together, what are they? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's Ismullahil A'zam. Both of them composed together, they constitute the greatest name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what do we learn about these names? That when a person calls upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by this name, then Allah accepts his dua, responds to his supplication. The Prophet ﷺ said, Allah's most magnificent name, which when used to implore him, he responds. It is found in three surahs. Which surahs are they? Al-Baqarah, Ali Imran, and Surah Taha. In Al-Baqarah, we learned, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum, ayatul kursi. In Surah Ali Imran, right at the beginning, we learned, Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyul qayyum. And in Surah Taha, we learn, Wa'anatil wujuhu lil-hayyul qayyum. And we see that the Prophet ﷺ, whenever he was concerned about a matter, about a situation, what did he do? He made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see that in the duas of the Prophet ﷺ, the names of Allah are mentioned. The names of Allah are mentioned. And we also find this dua, Ya Hayyu Ya Qayyum, Birahmatika Astaghith. O ever living, O sustainer of all existence, it is your mercy that I want. بِرَحْمَتِكَ أَسْتَغِيمُ It is your mercy that I want. الْحَيِّ الْقَيُّومُ Why pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with these two names? Because الْحَيِّ He has the most perfect attributes. He can do anything. And الْقَيُّومُ He is the one who looks after everyone. He is the one who looks after me as well. He is the only one who can answer my prayers. Therefore at the time of difficulty, what should we do? What do we learn? At the time of difficulty... What should we do? What do we learn? That yes, we make dua to Allah, but in particular with what? With these names of Allah. Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum. Who is Al-Hay, Al-Qayyum? Nazzala alayka al-kitab bil-haq. He is the one who has gradually revealed to you the book. How has he revealed the book to you? Bil-haq, with the truth. Nazzala yunazzilu tanzil, noon, zai, lam. It is to descend something. It is to send something down from above. How? Gradually. One part after 
another. So it is Allah, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, La ilaha illahu, who has revealed alayka upon you. Upon who? Upon the Prophet ﷺ. Upon your heart. Al-Kitab. Which kitab? The Qur'an. How has he revealed it? Bil-Haq. Al-Haq is from Haqqaf Qaf. And Haq is any word, any statement, or any action, when it is found as it should be. Meaning it is as it should be. It is accurate. It is precise. It is as it should be. In a manner that is appropriate for it. And it is also there at the time when it is needed. So over here Allah says He has revealed the book to you with the truth. What does it mean by this? Now connect this with the meaning of haq. What is haq? Something is as it should be. In a way, in a manner that is appropriate for it. And at the time when it is needed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the book when? At the time when it was most needed. After Isa alayhi salam, what happened? The followers of Isa alayhi salam, they were persecuted so much. To the extent that in order to be acceptable by the people, in order to assimilate amongst the rest of the people, what did they do? They changed the book. They drifted away from the correct theme. And so much time had passed that there was no messenger. And people needed guidance. The Torah was changed. The Injil was changed. People were lost. They needed guidance. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down the book, Bilhaq, at the most perfect time. When people needed it most. So Bilhaq. Also we see that Nazar alayka al-kitab Bilhaq, meaning he has revealed the book in the manner that is correct, in the manner that is most appropriate. What is the manner of the revelation of the Qur'an? The angel Jibreel brought down the Qur'an. It's the word of Allah. It deserves respect. And therefore, an angel was sent to deliver the Qur'an to the Prophet ﷺ. This is haqq, adl, in a manner that is most appropriate, in a manner that is most suitable. And who is angel Jibreel? Not just any angel. Who is he? Amin, the one who is most trustworthy. The trustworthy angel. Like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, that وَإِنَّهُ لَتَنزِيلُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ That indeed this Qur'an is a revelation of the Rabb of the worlds. نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ الْأَمِينَ Who has brought it down? The Ruhul Amin. Surah Al-Shu'ara, Ayah 192 and 193. So we see that the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, نَزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ How? That it was revealed at the time that is most perfect, that was most suitable, in the manner that was most suitable, in the way that is most suitable. And secondly, it also means that نَزَلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ Meaning, بِالْحَقِّ refers to kitab. That the kitab has haq in it. Whatever is contained within the book is the truth. Every single statement that is mentioned in this book, what is it? It is haq. It is free of doubt. It is free of shak. It is free of raib. Therefore trust it. Because it is the word of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
If you see, in the previous ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions about His attributes. He is Allah, la ilaha illahu, He is al-hayyul qayyum. And after mentioning the most perfect attributes of Allah, what does Allah say? That it is He who sent down this book. If you see any book, if you see anything, what is it that gives it its value? The author of the book? Or if it's something else, the manufacturer? Isn't it so? The make, the designer, the brand. That is what gives value to anything. This book that is in front of you, who has sent it down? Allah has sent it down. Who is He? He is Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. Are you not going to value this book? Are you not going to give importance to this book? And look at how He revealed it. Nazala, gradually. It could have been sent down within a minute, within a second. But it was given so much importance that 23 years were dedicated to revealing this book. Why was it sent down gradually? For different reasons. What are they? What do you think? Why was the Qur'an sent down gradually? What's the wisdom behind that? Because if somebody is taught one thing at once, in one go, it's harder for them to accept it, it's harder for them to understand it, to grasp it. Similarly, it's easier for the people to implement it. Not just understand it, not just absorb it, but also implement it. And there are many other reasons as well. Also, if you think of it, if something valuable is given to you at once, are you really going to value it? No. But if it's given to you over time, then you value it even more. For example, if a person makes $50,000 a year, and he's given that money just at one time, this is your pay for the entire year. Is he going to value it as much? He's probably going to go spend half of that money and waste it. But if he's given it over time, then he appreciates that money, he values that money, he uses it properly. نَزَّلَ عَلَيْكَ الْكِتَابَ بِالْحَقِّ And this kitab, he hasn't just revealed it gradually, he hasn't just revealed it with haq, but it is musaddiqan, it is confirming. What does it confirm? لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ For that which is before it. What is musaddiq? One that confirms the truthfulness of something. What is it from? Tasdiq. And tasdiq is from sidq. So musaddiq, the Qur'an is musaddiq. How is it a musaddiq for that which is before it? What is before it? The books that were revealed before it. So for example, the Torah, the Injil, the other scriptures. How is the Qur'an musaddiq for those books? In two ways. That first of all, the Qur'an confirms the fact that these books were revealed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Qur'an confirms their truthfulness. We learn in the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down Injil, the Torah. The Qur'an does not deny those books. It confirms their truthfulness. Secondly, the Qur'an confirms the previous books when it comes to the content of the previous books. What does it mean by that? That the previous books, they mention about the revelation of the last book. They mention about the coming of the last messenger. And the Qur'an, what does it do? By the coming of the Qur'an, it confirms the content that was mentioned in the previous books. مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ It confirms the previous books. وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ And he sent down the Torah 
And he also sent down the Injil. Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the same one who sent down the Torah and the Injil as well. He has sent the Quran upon you, O Prophet ﷺ, and before he revealed the Torah and Injil. I want you to notice the word Anzala. Previously, with regards to the Quran, it was said Nazala. There is a difference between the two words. Nazala is he sent down gradually. And Anzala is just he sent down. It doesn't necessarily give the meaning of gradually. In fact, it gives the meaning of that he sent it, he revealed it at once, in one go. So for the Torah and Injil, Anzala has been used. Why? Because the Torah and Injil were given, were revealed at once. Musa salam was given the Torah at once, in one go. Why? Did the people not need to absorb it and understand it? Was it not necessary at that time? How come the Torah was revealed at once? Why? Because for the previous books, there were messengers who were going to come afterwards, but for the Prophet ﷺ, there was no messenger who was going to come afterwards. And previous books were for certain people, but the Qur'an is for everyone. And the Qur'an was revealed over 23 years on the Sahaba, making it easy for them to accept and follow and understand. But the Torah was given at once to the Bani Israel, and perhaps it made it difficult for them to accept it. Look what they did. Basically, if you think of it, the previous scriptures... Who were they given to? They were believers from before. The Bani Israel, when the Torah was given, they were Muslim from before. All that they needed was, what are we supposed to do? They just needed do's and don'ts. And that's exactly what they were given. Similarly, Injil was given to who? Isa salam, And he was also amongst the Bani Israel. So that was also for the Bani Israel. They were already Muslim. But the Qur'an was sent to who? To people who were not Muslim from before. It is for who? Not just for the Arabs, but for everyone. So therefore, it was necessary for the correct understanding, for the correct preservation of the book, that it be revealed over a period of time. As for the previous books, they were given to Muslims. وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَاةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ And Allah is the one who sent down the Torah and the Injil. What does the word Torah literally mean? It is said that the word Torah is actually a Hebrew word and literally it means law, sharia. So the Torah had do's and don'ts. It is also said that the word Torah is derived from wara yariya, which means literally to light fire, to kindle fire. وَوْرَايَ so it is said that Torah literally means ضِيَاء What does that mean? Light So it was a light for people Telling them what to do, what not to do As for the meaning of the word Injil It is said that Injil is actually a Greek word And it means good news And others have said that Injil is from Najil It is Ifril from Najil Noon, Jim, Lam and Which literally means when water is at the surface of the earth when water is spread over the surface of the earth and it is spread over the surface. It's not just collected in one place, but it is spread over the surface. So it is said that Injil was given to the Bani Israel to make their deen clear to them. Just as water that is on the surface of the earth is clear and visible. So وَأَنزَلَ التَّوْرَاةَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ He sent down the Torah on who? On Musa salam And the Injil on who? Now these two books are especially mentioned. Why? Because the Torah, who believed in it, who followed it? 
the Jews, who were mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah. And the Injil, who followed it? The Christians, who are mentioned in Surah Al-Imran. 